Hey kids, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Brio TV, the podcast. I'm your host, Bill Brio, and we've got another great guest for you today. But first, this episode is brought to you by Super Channel, providing viewers with exceptional value and variety, CTV, which urges you to get into it this winter, and Hollywood Suite, home of the best movies of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. All right, my guest today is Building a Better Canada, one house and one cottage at a time. He's been hosting shows on HGTV in the U.S. and Canada since 2008. In March, his new series, Scott's Own Vacation House, premieres. And on Monday, April 11th, Scott's Vacation House Rules returns for a third season. Please welcome Mr. Scott McGilvery. Scott, great to see you. Thanks for having me on the show today, Bill. Well, listen, congrats on all your success. Uh, I, uh, I watched the first episode uh, of the new show and really loved it. Um, my family's had a cottage. My dad and a friend of his built a place on the shores of Lake Huron um, uh, 75 years ago in 1947. And uh and just a couple of years ago, we put an addition on there. So I uh, have a keen interest in everything you do and how it should be done right. Uh, it, it's quite an undertaking. And uh, I love that you're renovating some properties that uh, you have in the Kawarthas. Tell me, yeah. first of all, how you came upon this property. It's a beautiful uh, lot. Yeah, it's uh well, I'm happy to hear that you are a fellow cottager because it's uh it's quite a, an amazing um opportunity to be able to go up north and get away from the city and I think a lot of people in the last few years started to recognize the value of being able to, you know, domestically travel to a place that feels somewhere very different than the city and I've been doing, you know, I grew up with a cottage and then um and then I haven't had a cottage for the last, you know, 25 years in our family. And I've always been on the hunt for one. I've just been so busy mm-hmm. that it's been hard. And when I started filming Scott's Vacation House Rules, the, the cottage renovation shows, obviously I was in my element. I love being up north. I love the renovations. I love the waterfront. And so as we were doing the show, I started looking for a place for myself as well. And, uh, this property came up for sale right just before the pandemic hit. And I took a look at it and I was like, oh, it's too much. Maybe it's too much. You know, it's four properties all together. Um, and so I didn't pull the trigger. And then COVID hit and the property sat for maybe a month and a half. And I decided to revisit it. And I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe, well, because we weren't filming the show at the time, you know, the COVID hit and we weren't doing anything. I'm like, well, now I've got some time. Maybe I will buy this big project and start working on it myself uh, until we can start filming the show again. And that's what we did. I bought the property. I'm like, if, you know, we can turn it into an investment opportunity. 
Um, there's enough space there that we can use some of it for ourselves. So I've always, you know, for me, Bill, I'm always looking, I'm always shopping for real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, but the timing has to be right and the property has to work and everything just lined up for this one. And now we've been enjoying it personally from time to time, which is great because my kids have fallen in love with fishing. fishing. We love fishing. (laughs) <laughs> now it's cute to watch them your daughter's uh fishing they're pulling in fish that's very sweet and it looks, it's right on the water of course it looks like a very well i guess what do you got about two 250 350 feet of frontage there that's a lot of well each short. each lot has just over a hundred feet between 100 and 120 so this oh is about my goodness that's amazing that is tremendous what a spread uh and and how many structures are on that property when you found it so when we found it, there were three structures, two kind of older um, cabins, you know, early 1980s built, but nice. They're nice, but just super dated, right? Very right. kind of uh, shag carpet, uh, original furniture, wood paneling on the walls. Um, and then the main cottage, which is where the old um, owners lived, was again a little old fashioned, still built in the eighties. It had a couple additions on it, so everything was pretty dated. Everything was about forty years old plus. Um, so we decided to renovate the two the two side cottages first. Uh, there's also there's a boathouse which yeah. was uh, from you know early late seventies early eighties. I think the boathouse was built before the actual cottage was. Um, that so we needed to renovate that as well. There was a little playhouse that we kind of replaced and updated. So there's a lot of little outbuildings. Um, The main cottage we didn't tackle yet because it was just too much. I'm like, we'll get everything else ready. We can generate some cash flow. (laughs) I mean, we'll do the boathouse. I can't believe you've done everything else through COVID. I mean, that is impressive because, as you well know, and and as I was discovering uh, even before covid uh, the supply and the cost of lumber, and there was so many variables that just accelerated all at once there, wasn't there? So I, I, how how were you able to overcome that on, on the budget you had set and everything else? Honestly, um, you know, I've done lots of my own projects as well on top of the stuff that we do for the show. And, it, you know, you, you set up, I always say that the budget is like your baseline. This is your base. The budget is always like, here's your basics. There's a million things we don't know. Um, and there's a, the hundred things that you're going to want that you didn't even realize you wanted until we got started. <laughs> and that holds true for me as well when I'm renovating my own places. So we started the cottages with, um, with a certain budget in mind and immediately um, supply chain issues and shipping costs and labor costs went out of control. We ended up about 20% over budget on the project, which is quite significant. Um, we didn't, we didn't really add on anything too much out of scope. Like there was a few things where we're like, Oh, let's do this while we're at it. Or maybe we'll change that up and open this wall or put a staircase here, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the, the, the huge impact on budgets in the last few years has been the cost of everything, the cost of fuel and shipping, the cost of shipping containers coming across the delays in the supply chain. Um, You know, with our, we did, we have 12 episodes of Scott's vacation house rules. That's 12 other homeowners with their cottages being renovated. And it was a tricky season because 
we start off with our scope of works and our budgets and our plans. And then everything gets thrown out the window. You know, you can't get a kitchen for seven months. You can't get appliances. Some appliances are just completely impossible to secure. Uh, windows, time to make windows went from four weeks to 14 weeks. Oh, I yeah. mean, you know, and you're paying guys to be there and you just don't have the stuff. So it's been, I would say that the costs of renovations are probably up 30 to 40% in the last two years. So what wow. you used to be able to do for... 150 grand is going to cost you 225 now i'd say yeah no it's it's breathtaking i know that the project we had we had quite a few windows the cottage my dad built was you know in the 40s and it was very uh small windows and it was very boxy and dark so the new part i wanted to just blow it up and put so we had like 17 big windows in this new part because it looks west it faces an island it's a beautiful view but man i think you're right we went from waiting six weeks to about 16 to get those windows and that certainly if you're working in us in months where you've had a a window (laughs) pardon the expression to do things and suddenly you're you're working in october november it uh it gets a little scary so hats off to you man Um, and even beyond that scott what i found which was a bit um of a surprise because i'm not you know uh, experienced in this was the permits you know that to get now uh, where we are in uh lake huron um you know you're dealing with waterfront there's permits and permissions that are needed uh quite a few of them um yeah uh, you obviously you're skilled and someone who's very experienced at this um is it easier uh do you know how to fast track these things or is it just as difficult uh for you well uh you know during well during the pandemic a lot of the uh you know i don't want to throw everybody under the bus but i'd say a lot of the permitting offices and building departments were hiding behind zoom calls and it was almost impossible to get anything looked at or to get answers it was frustrating for sure near the beginning but a lot of the guys you know it's it's not just my teams and and myself working on these we work with a lot of local contractors we're working with you know septic tank companies and excavation companies and all the other trades are were just as frustrated as we were um, and we had to kind of move forward and beg for forgiveness in some situations, right? Where we mm-hmm. couldn't get any, couldn't get anyone to come see anything. We couldn't get any answers. We know we're doing the job properly and we're documenting everything. Mm-hmm. So we would take it as far as we could, um, go knowing in good faith that we were following all the right protocols. And then we would really just push, push, push to get an inspection done and to get our permits through it. but most things were delayed most things were delayed um hats off to you for doing what you how much you did i can't believe you've done everything with the main cottage we'll be right back with more from scott McGilvery in just a moment All right, time once again to visit with Emily Gagné from Hollywood Suite. Emily, what's going on this month? 
It's a busy month, Bill. You know, it is awards season. So we've actually got an award show uh, airing on Hollywood Suite. It's the Film Independent Spirit Awards. Wow. You guys have run this uh, every year for many years. It is the most fun award show, isn't it? It sure is. And this uh, year we have hosts Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman, which they're a power couple in comedy, of course. So Yeah, yeah, they can't go wrong with those two right away. Well, that's a lot of fun. Uh, that's coming up this month. And, uh, you know, when is it airing and where else can people see it? Yeah, it's airing March 6th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. A nice early show so you can get on with your life after and do whatever you'd like. Watch another movie. We do have some Indie Spirit nominees from the past airing after the fact, including Silver Linings Playbook, Brokeback Mountain. So there's lots to watch that night. But if you don't catch it live, you can always watch it on demand after the fact all month long. Well, it's a very funny show, usually a lot of fun, so people will want to do that. What else is coming up? Well, I'm really excited about our Women in Film collection that we have, because it is Women's History Month in March, and we've got some classics, everything from A New Leaf, Elaine Mace film, which I love, and I'm sure you do, too. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, But we've also got Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Yentl, Point Break, A League of Their Own, The Virgin Suicides, American Psycho. Just think of all the major films directed by women, and we probably got it in March. Well, that sounds fantastic. Those are very diverse, fun films, uh, especially A New Leaf, uh, Walter Matthau. So I'll be looking for that one this month on Hollywood Suite. Emily, thank you very much once again. Thanks, Bill. Always a pleasure. Once again, here's Scott. The... uh the, f- the first project, I believe, is this beautiful beach uh, cottage that you renovated. Uh, it's uh, the feature of the first episode of the series. Yeah. And uh, my goodness, you, you, you show viewers from start to finish what it looked like and <laughs> right through to what you did, which is just a tremendous uh, upgrade. Uh, who wouldn't want to uh, vacation in this place? It's beautiful. Uh, tell me first about this giant pine tree that is inches from the front of the cottage that is about how was it 70 feet high oh it was closer to 100 feet they yeah that was you know that's the the kind of magic and the challenge of of acquiring these properties is um you know nature is there and (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) those white pines are really amazing trees they get massively tall um, but this one had been planted kind of in the in the yard garden, I guess, facing the waterfront. Right. Must have been planted there or must they must have worked around it because the thing had to be 100 years old. Um, but it was it, the, the roof line. Right. The, the, of yeah. the gable wall. It had an indent in it from when the tree would sway and hit it. And the tree had to be, you know, t- it would t- even two big people wrapping their arms around could probably not get their arms around the base of this tree. Yeah. It was monstrous. And the, some of the windstorms coming off the lake, you know, being on Lake Huron, yeah. it's pretty dramatic. You know, we were sitting there the first week we bought the place. We're looking out and I was looking at that tree. I'm like, I have to double check my insurance policy because yeah. I think that thing's going to, if that falls over, it would literally split the cottage in yeah. half. Yeah, it was big. it was that big and uh, it was already hitting the roof line on windy days and putting a dent in it. Um, so I we and normally, you know, I'm pretty decent with a chainsaw. I typically will do it <laughs> myself. <laughs> that guy who went up that tree. Oh, my God. This is the most breathtaking thing. It looks like something you'd pay to see at the CNE. Like he's 100 feet in the air with a chainsaw. 
Yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, the, the tree was leaning over the cottage because those windswept white pines, they blow the prevailing winds tip them over. So it was tipping right over the cottage. We're west facing there. And, you know, I would say it was probably on like a five to 10 degree angle over the cottage with oh. thousands of pounds of, of branches. You know, some of the branches up above the cottage were as thick as my body, you know, and wow. so it's. Uh, I was like, you know what, even if I cut this right, it's still going to fall on the cottage. So we had to get an, uh, an arborist team there to come and limit. And it was it was pretty wild. It's like a I think that's like a viral moment seeing the the guy up there 100 feet with the chainsaw when he cuts the top off the tree. You know, he's strapped in and the top falls this way and and he swings. Back yes. Yeah. Or, I'm just, we're all just holding our breath. I'm like, oh my gosh, imagine that's your job. Like that is bananas. It, it is bananas. And I, there's a new show in the States, America's Got Talent Extreme Edition. They yes. should have this guy on. Yeah. <laughs> like, he wins. It's, 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 uh, it's like a magic trick, but boy, uh, what I thought was so resourceful and brilliant. So you cut this massive tree down, it falls to the ground. You can watch it on the premiere. And then you decide to, uh, go from pine tree to portico is that what you call it yeah the portico yeah Yeah. oh my god so you 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 take this to a a mill and have it milled and then you use the actual wood from this tree that was on this property for years and years as this stunning entrance to your place uh that is that something you had done before I, you know what, hadn't done this before and it wasn't part of the plan, but I'll tell you right now, trying to buy the lumber, the the timber, trying to get timbers for the front of that portico became next to impossible. So as we cut down the pine, um, there's a guy on the end of the street who basically runs like a mill, a small mill out of his old cabin there. I had him come out. Guy was like 85, 86. He came up, he took a look at the lumber, he started measuring it and, you know, taking a few samples. He's like, yeah, this is, this is pretty good wood. We can make some pretty good timbers. I'm like, how big can you make them? He's like, I can do 12 by 12s. And oh, I, was, wow. I said, you know what? I'm looking at these, these types of timbers to build a portico. So we had it, um, we had it milled. And uh, we got it dried out as fast as we could. You know, there's a several several weeks in between those two um, items. So the tree was one of the first things that came down and the portico was one of the last things to go up. But the, you know, the irony was not lost on me that this huge tree, which was beautiful, but a huge threat to the cottage, became one of the features of the front entrance. Yeah, it, it was a brilliant move, a great solution, and uh, what a stunning uh, entrance it is. Um, what's the uh, the one thing if someone's trying to renovate a, a property like that? Uh, I'm sure there are um, uh, rules to how you proceed. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, what would be a, a couple that you absolutely must do if you're going to undertake something like this? Well, you know, I, my background comes from real estate investing when it comes to real estate, right? And that it's impossible to get that out of my mind. It's, it's just the way I'm built now. So I look at every property from a financial uh, perspective, even if it's my primary residence. Like, I don't want to buy a house and then it's not worth what I paid for it or I'm not doing things that add value. And so these cottages were very similar, um, maybe even sort of amped up a little bit because... There's multiple cottages. I know that the vacation rental market is super hot right now. 
So the first thing I did was kind of ran the numbers. I'm like, well, if I buy it for this and my renovation budget is that, and I rent it for this, would it cover all my expenses, including the cost of financing? And the answer was yes. And am I adding value to the property? Now, obviously, uh, values of these types of properties have gone up significantly, which is yeah. a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely, the first thing you want to do is determine if it's a financially viable option, right? A vacation property is hard to enjoy if it's a financial burden, right? If every time you're there, you're like, oh my goodness, we can't afford this or it's an issue, um, I know a lot of families that have cottages and they can't afford to renovate them or they can't afford to keep them in the family. And a lot of that can be solved if you have a monetization strategy. And that's what we do a lot in the show is we tell people, look, it, you might not, you know, it might be difficult to afford. You might not. A lot of the times there's siblings who inherit a property and maybe one person wants to renovate. The other person can't afford to contribute. And it's, I always tell people, if you have a, a plan where you can rent it out for part of the year, that, that rent can cover those renovations or cover the expenses. So doing the math is a big thing. With vacation properties and what you'll see in these shows, uh, especially these ones where we did our own, is that branded or themed properties outperform everything else, Right. It's one thing to say, oh, we've got, you know, here, rent a cottage, but you don't don't underestimate how powerful it is to have an identity or a brand that's a huge selling feature, right? You can go to the store and get a a can of soda soda water with no name on it, but most people will grab a Coke, right? Because they've got branding on there. So it goes the same with a vacation property. When people are on these platforms scrolling through all the properties, it's got to hit them. So like you said, the first property we did, we went with the most popular theme in the vacation rental space, which is beach house. And it's fresh and it's light and it's bright and it's relaxing. I mean, it's almost impossible not to feel um, calm when you arrive at the beach house. And of course, you have to be able to deliver. There's a huge beach of the frontage yes, that we have. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> and a, and a uh, boathouse. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got the boathouse and we have about 100 to 130 feet of sandy waterfront, right? That's amazing. Yeah. Which is so great for the kids. We can put lawn chairs out. There's almost, there's pretty much enough room to play beach volleyball if you wanted to. Yeah. So it would, you know, the, those the combination of that theme along with the delivery of an actual beach nothing draws more attention online and garners more consistent and high income than the beach house theme so we really leaned into that yeah. and that is by far so far the most popular of uh of the cottages it's very smart and and folks watching this will see when you enter this uh beach house you literally walk past a surfboard <laughs> like you've got it themed all the way through and then of course the way it's uh furnished and decorated <clears throat> and your colleague uh, deborah Sal- salmoni uh yeah. of course critical there uh buys this tremendous uh sectional uh light blue the pastel colors you just want to sit there and uh, put your feet up don't you it is you know we've had a couple guests stay at it so far obviously we just finished the uh property in the fall and over the winter you know we didn't we didn't really do much with them over the winter other than just get our bearings straight (laughs) and finish all the things you don't get to see on tv um 
But we've had a few guests stay there. And yeah, like you said, people are just super pumped. Uh, the beach is the big thing. They're like, it's it's such a, uh, you know, so it's just such a delivery of expectations. You get there, you get, like you said, it's a fresh, modern beach house. It's got the um, tongue and groove, shiplap walls, nice and white and bright, the vaulted ceilings, the um, rattan details, and the, all of that com- together with walk, being able to walk down and hang out on the beach all day. Um, that that property will continue to do extremely well, especially between May two four and Thanksgiving. Yeah, that no kidding. Well, I, and I noticed when you were doing your budgets, and and I love that you share all that information as part of your show. Um, you figure that probably pretty much in two seasons you can pay for the cost of the renovation to that particular uh, structure, right? It is. Yeah, it it is amazing. The rental rates on domestic travel have um, increased significantly. And um, right now that property is fully booked for the entire 2022 season. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. (laughs) Good for you. And and, and is this because a lot of folks are, are they're not flying and they're not going to exotic places that so they're going to cottages. Is that part of what's driving this market? Uh, yeah, a lot of people are going to cottages. A lot of people, uh, you know, what I've noticed up there since we bought it is that I'd say one in, uh, I'm going to make a bit of a gross assumption here, but approximately one in 10 cottages, the owners now live at the cottage in the last two years. Right. So probably 10% of these cottages are now primary residences. Wow. People have decided to commit to that as their home base because they can work remotely or they've decided to stop doing what they were doing. A lot of people retired early or stopped doing what they were doing or changed careers in order to be able to work remotely. And they are now living in their cottages. So that's a, that's about 10, 10% of the market becoming primary residences is pretty heavy. And on top of that, yeah, domestic travel really has been the only option for most individuals for the last few years I'm sure for a few years to come, it will still be a um, a dominant choice for individuals, and that creates, uh, you know, it creates a whole generation of folks who will continue these traditions that have been built during this time. You know, you look at look at you and your family, your your father, your grandfather, whoever bought that property created a legacy of domestic travel in your family. And now we have a huge surge in new cottage owners who are creating that tradition for their families. And they're not just, they're not going to just stop going. They may still travel internationally, but their, their primary um, uh, focus for, for vacationing will probably be cottages. So I don't see the trend going in reverse. No, I don't think so. And it does uh, in, in my own case with my dad, he, he literally got out of the army and uh, with the money he made as a soldier, he bought that property uh, on uh, Lake Huron there near Sobble Beach, north of there, uh, for $250. Uh, that's about what it would cost now in gas to get to the cottage. You know, like it, 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 it is shocking and stunning. Um, and uh, how in a couple of generations it changes. We'll be back with more from Scott after this brief message. 
Are you ready for the Oscars? The 94th Annual Academy Awards will air March 27th, and once again, the place to get into it is on CTV. Hollywood's Big Night is back in the Dolby Theatre and looking to restore the red carpet pizzazz missing in recent years. There are hosts again, too, and they are Wanda Sykes, Amy Schumer, and Regina Hall. Comedians Sykes and Schumer should bring a little edge back to the proceedings. The Academy has made some changes to this year's broadcast, with categories such as makeup and hairstyling, documentary short and production design trimmed down to pre-taped presentations. Among the films in contention are Power of the Dog, Belfast, King Richard, and Dune. Will Nicole Kidman win a Best Actress Award for playing Lucille Ball? Or will she go, wah? Find out March 27th on CTV and prepare for your Oscar pool by catching eTalk all month long as they cover the stories and the nominees heading up to the big night. And here he is again, Scott McGilvery. We've got to talk real estate for a second here because you are an expert. My phone rings every day with somebody, a real estate agent, wanting to sell my house here in Brampton. Um, and this is a house where a family raised and they've moved away and it's too big. And so we've thought, yeah, let's move. Um, the prices are, I mean, so high now. Uh, so the thought of moving to the cottage, as you suggested, is tempting because the frustration we have here in Brampton is – Say we want to move an hour from here in any direction but north, um, it still costs the same as what we're going to get uh, way up almost to Lake Huron. Like it, it's it's shocks me at how you can no longer just move to Orangeville or Shelburne or you know, wherever. Right? Uh, the, the, it must make your head spin in this business to stay on top of all of these changes, right? I mean, it's to be honest, I've been investing in real estate for over 20 years. And when I started in real estate, I, I spent a lot of time researching the, you know, the asset class itself as a viable opportunity for a business. I'm like, what, what does real estate investing look like? You know, what does the last 50 years of real estate look like? And just like you said, you know, 60, 70 years ago, you could buy a property for ten, twenty thousand dollars Yeah, yeah. Which is absolutely absurd to even consider at this point. And as you know, people are always going to need somewhere to live. And as time goes on, we know the value of of these assets will continue. There'll be ups and downs along the way. There always are. Mm. Um, But even if there are some downs, the ups far outweigh the dips that come in the real estate space. And it's it's not surprising to me that we've seen prices actually jump to where they are because interest rates have been low for 10 years. Yeah. And the you know, if you think about the when maybe when you bought your first house, it's not necessarily the price of the property that drives the purchasing motivation. It's the expense of financing it every month. right? Right. So in the 80s, if you were financing a property at a 18% interest rate, you know, you adjust for inflation. It's about the same as it costs today at a 2% interest rate. Yeah. So the cost to 
uh, finance the purchase of a property has not changed as drastically as people think because we love to we love to focus on prices prices are way up there but the reality is an interest rate of 2% on your mortgage today is about the same as if you cut your property price you know down by 90% and paid a 25% interest rate it's all relative interest rates and prices so we, we've all been playing with free money in a way haven't we for for a decade it's it's uh you know like it, it is a uh, uh, and should the rates uh, spike up my goodness uh, you know a lot of people are going to be uh uh not sleeping well <laughs> well interest rates will go up they are now with everything that's going on in the world we're going to see interest rates creep up a little bit they they can't jump too significantly because everybody knows what that impact would have. Once you once you have everybody addicted to low interest rates, it takes a long time to wean them off of that. So I think we'll see, you know, maybe another we saw 25 basis points last week. We might see another 10 or 15 basis points um, towards the end of this year. They'll have to creep up very slowly and that will stall the the price of real estate so housing prices will probably level off now we'll see interest rates come up a little bit um but there are so many factors that are going to affect real estate it's it would be silly to sit here you know if three years ago three years ago nobody could have predicted where we are today nobody nobody sat down and said okay so there'll be a global pandemic followed by (laughs) a potential world war like nobody no. So forget, forget. And then those things have such an influence on the markets yeah. that it makes everything else pretty much uh, a non, you know, a non-issue. Um, but we are looking at, you know, inflation is a real thing that's coming. It's already happening. Look at the price of, of gas, the price of food, the price of housing. All of those are going to yeah. go up significantly. My prediction is that we're going to see wages increase significantly in the next few years. You know, probably five to 10% increases per year for the next few years because labor, there's a shortage in labor. Um, people can ask for higher rates. People are fed up of difficult jobs. Um, so we're going to see when wages increase, that helps housing prices. And we're also seeing, we're probably going to see a massive amount of immigration in the next few years as well. Yeah, well, Canada still has lots of room and we should be welcoming these folks, my God. Um, you know, you must look at your daughters, the adorable kids there and say, kids, Become contractors, right? I mean, <laughs> as, as you know, as you've said, up north, you're building all these things. You're desperately looking for people, and it's hard. They're, these hard. guys up there, men and women, are running off their feet. Um, do, do you see maybe that, that there will be, a, a, a hopefully, more people getting involved in those services in the future? The trades have been desperate for years. There has been a lack of skilled trades in our in in Canada for ten to fifteen years. Um, we see it all the time, and this has only amplified that problem. Um, you know, the price. The good news is that people are paying a lot more. The wages for contractors, whether it's electricians, plumbers, framers, masons. I mean, the the wages they're getting now are probably double what they were 10 years ago. So finally, I would say that there's a right size in the in the salary gap that was in the trades. But we still have a lot of we still have a lot of people that just aren't doing it. I I don't know if, um, you know, it's hard to hard to kind of predict everything, but 
it's not attractive. There's a lot of young people who aren't attracted to the idea of doing hard labor when there's a lot of kind of fluffy things that look a lot simpler, like being an influencer looks like a lot more fun than being an electrician. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's, there will have to be, there will have to be a shift in the mentality around being in the trades. Um, I'm a, I'm a licensed contractor. I've been in the trades as long as I've been a real estate investor. It's hard work. The first you know, five to 10 years that I was working in construction, um, it was, it was not glamorous. It was dirty and it was, you know, you were sore and you were up early and you're by lunch, you're sweating. And, you know, you come home and the first thing you want to do is have a shower. A lot of people aren't interested in that type of career. I just, just not interested. Um, But boy, you could make a lot of money at it now. If you, if uh, you know, if you want to get into that field, I would think. Um, Yeah. It's a a tremendous opportunity. If, if you're, you know, young and you've got good energy and you're willing to put in the hard work, you can make six figures in the construction space. No problem. Yeah, I would believe it. We'll be right back with more from Scott McGilvery in just a moment. For eight seasons, When Calls the Heart has entertained viewers with tales of Mounties, school marms, and plenty of frontier romance. Saddle up for a ninth season as the town of Hope Valley gets set for some brand new adventures. Elizabeth Thatcher, played by Hallmark Queen Erin Krakow, is back, as are a couple of wonderful guests to this podcast, Pascal Hutton, Kavan Smith, and Andrea Brooks. They'll be joined, I'm told, by some new strangers in town. Season 9 begins March 6, exclusively on Super Channel Heart and Home. Later in March, Super Channel will be home once again to the Canadian Film Fest. The indie-spirited at-home festival invites film fans to butter up some popcorn and stream some exciting new offerings. These come from filmmakers all across Canada. This year, 10 new features and 30 shorts will be premiering exclusively on Super Channel Fuse beginning on March 22nd. And don't forget, you can also find and stream the entire Super Channel menu through Amazon Prime or via the Apple TV app. Once again, here's Scott. Listen, you've been very generous with your time. I just want to get in a few more questions before we run out here, uh, Scott. And one of them is, uh, just quickly, uh, kitchens and bathrooms. Is that still the, the top two priorities if you're renovating a property? They have been, those two, kitchens being number one, bathrooms being number two, have always been a top priority. However, not necessarily the top two anymore there is um in the last several years there has been a huge trend towards uh the curb appeal being the dominant factor in determining the selling price and the speed at which a property sells uh and that wasn't the case you know 20 years ago but the trend has been there so now people are thinking about 
how much outdoor space is there with this property? Is there a good yard, whether it be front yard or backyard? Is there room to build a patio? Is there room to put in a pool? Is Am I visually, you know, I hate to say it, but people judge a book by its cover. Most people are shopping for real estate online and they want to see what it looks like from the exterior. And, and if you look at any of the videos, online tours start out front. The curb appeal is, is in the top three with kitchens and bathrooms now. And it would be a mistake to, to just focus on kitchen and bathroom renovations and not address um, the curb appeal of the property. Hmm. What do you tell people nowadays that with the, the market, uh, you, you, and we've looked at properties, there's not even time to get it inspected before you buy it. You talk about curb appeal. People are buying houses without ever entering them. Uh, yeah. what, what, do you, what do you suggest if somebody's going to plunk down a million five for a house in Toronto and not have an inspector? Is, is that something that they should do, or is that the only option now? At the moment, there doesn't seem to be much of an option. There are things that you can do as a buyer to circumvent going in. You know, I I would say you need to educate yourself on purchasing real estate because it's not something that we're taught in our education system. You go out to spend a million dollars on a house and you have zero training, no coaching. You maybe ask your parents or a friend who's bought a house, but who only knows if they've done it properly. Right. Um, I have purchased... I'm going to take an estimate here. I've probably purchased over 400 properties in my career, personally, through my, myself or my companies. Yeah. And you learn something every time you buy a place, right? You learn something new. Um, so I go in and I have, I have quite a bit of confidence with my process. But in a market like this, I will typically do something called a pre-inspection, meaning if I'm going to see a property or if I'm going to put an offer in, I'm sending somebody through. I'm sending somebody through to inspect it. I'm not even asking. I'm just like, I'm coming to see it and it's being inspected at the same time. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Done. And and nobody seems to have a problem with that. And if they do have a problem with that, you're buying the wrong property. Right, exactly. Good for you. (laughs) Uh, I want to ask a couple of TV questions I ask folks who are kind enough to visit here. Um, And that is... um, what are you binging? What are you watching? Uh, you and your wife, Sabrina, is there a show that uh, has caught you that you just can't uh, wait to get back to right now? Um, well, let's see. We've been watching Billions. Okay. Uh, that's a fun show. It's kind of, it's kind of, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't even know, but it's a, it's a show that we seem to be watching. We've been watching Yellowstone. Yeah. Okay. Everybody's uh, yeah, watching take, that right now. Yeah, I had to take a little break. I think in season after season <laughs> two, I'm like, we just need to take a break from this show. Yeah, I'm having trouble sleeping. You know, it was giving me anxiety. <laughs> yeah. it's giving me anxiety. Yeah, that, you don't need more of that these days. That's for sure. Was there you know, a show? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, I love shows like Ted Lasso, for instance. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that coming back because you can watch it. It's fun. It's funny. You know, you're not scared you're not pausing it when the kids walk into the room it's just a great show i'm like that i need more shows like that in my life yeah it's very positive and uplifting uh there's a good show that just started winning time about the lakers that's pretty good reminds me a bit of that um now uh, when you were a youngster was there a show that when you were a kid you just could hardly wait to run home from school to watch was there a favorite (laughs) tv show back then 
Oh my goodness. I mean, I don't know how far back we're going to go, but you know, I didn't watch a ton of TV as a kid. Um, but if I think back to when I was like five, six, seven years old, uh, there was the polka dot door and today's special. Those were pretty right. good in our yeah. household. Pokeroo. The pokeroo, exactly. Still <laughs> use the pokeroo as a uh, as a term. Um, and then you know, kind of growing up, I'm trying to think what other shows were influential. Maybe when I was more of a teenager, but I didn't spend a lot of time. I, I was a busy body. I was always a busy body. I wasn't. I'm wasn't a huge binge watcher of television. And when we were younger, you couldn't binge watch anything. You had to wait for it to. I know, you know, Oh, don't tell me about it. Uh, Well, then this next question might be a stumper for you, but I ask it. I'll ask anyway. Did you, was there an all time favorite TV theme song that you think of that? That's the perfect TV theme song. Cheers. I always loved the cheers theme song. Great great choice. Yeah. Yeah. I still, when I hear that song today, cause it's, it, it, it really pulled an emotion out of you, which, uh, and and that that show just had a great vibe to it as well. I think it, it's you know, and it means more now in my life than it probably did then. But for some reason, that song still to this day, it's yeah, a great one. it's a it's an interesting show. I've been we've been binging Frasier here during the pandemic, and we've pretty well watched every episode again. Uh, just a funny show, and uh, that character. Uh, from Cheers originally, Dr. Fraser Crane is pretty good. He's uh, fantastic. Yeah. He is fantastic. Yeah. Let me just remind folks, of course, Scott's Own Vacation House premieres Monday, March 14th at 9 p.m. on HGTV Canada, 9 p.m. ET Pacific Time. And uh, that's one of two shows. Then we're going to come right back with uh, season three of Scott's Vacation House Rules. That's Monday, April 11th at 9 p.m. on HGTV Canada. And, of course, you can watch all of these things. You can stream them on Stack TV. Uh, you can see that. Uh, Amazon Prime has it for sure. So look for it there. Uh, and would, would Tell me, this is true. Did you buy your first property at 20? I was 20 years old. 21, actually. Um, yeah, I was a university student. And uh, wow. I, bought, I ended up buying a rental property because our landlord sold the one we were in and we had to move. And I was so traumatized uh, by this last minute, you know, eviction. We were stuck. There was nothing left. Like the time to rent properties had already passed. It was, you know, there was nothing available wow. and um, ended up looking at a property for sale and working with an, an agent and a broker to purchase it. And again, it was out of it was super desperate. I was super nervous, and I used my student loan as a down payment, and I had all my friends <laughs> renting from me. But it got us a house, and it taught me a new business model, and I scaled it from there. Yeah, by by the time I was twenty five, I had twenty five student rental properties. So wow. I figured it out pretty quick and and ran with it. Hey, have you thought back that if that had not happened, you might be doing something completely different? Probably. Uh, yeah, I, I no doubt if I hadn't bought that property, I probably never would have got into real estate. I would have been lucky to have been able to afford uh, one home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, congrats on that. Because uh, two other questions I wanted to ask. Just um, first of all, um, have you heard of this? This is what's being imposed in the area I live that the government, the local town, decided you know, there's too many people renting cottages now and they're hooligans and they're you know making too much noise so they're imposing a 500 dollar 
fee now to anyone who rents a cottage in that area. Is that happening in other places? Yeah, that's happening everywhere. Municipally, they can put in what they call like an STA um, bylaw. That's a short-term accommodation bylaw requiring you to get a license or a permit for short-term rentals, anything less than a month, I believe they call that. And $500 is actually affordable. Some municipalities are charging $2,500 a year to have that. Wow. Yeah, listen, they, everybody sees the money. Everybody wants a piece of the money. They, you don't get anything for it. Like you get your permit. You, do, you pay for a permit and they don't give you any extra services. So to me, it's a bit of a sham. Yeah, it's a tax. Um, it's a tax, but it would be different if they, you know, maybe did extra garbage collection or did something to earn that money. But it's just a straight up slap on the wrist. I think there'll be troubles. There'll be challenges with imposing those for many, many years. The challenge is if you impose uh, like a, a licensing situation like that and you don't provide anything, what it does is it drives people to do things illegally and underground. And then the quality goes down. They, this is, this was the problem when they started banning basement apartments. It's like, you can't just ban them. People need somewhere to live. You need to govern them and provide a service um, so that they can be done properly. Because if these things do get driven under what I call underground, meaning uh, they're not regulated properly and people are hiding them, then the quality and the safety goes down as well. So mm. hopefully, the uh, I think in the next few years, a balance will be found where some sort of service is provided and a, a level of quality and compliance comes with those permits, which would be great. Then I'd be happy to pay them. But for now, it's just a straight up tax. Well, here, here on that idea to get some service out of it. Uh, are there measures that you take to ensure that the folks you're renting to are responsible? Uh, are, do you rent to people you know, or how do, how do you make sure that you avoid any uh, you know unforeseen things happening to your properties? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need a proper tenant vetting uh, situation. I use I only use a, a few platforms for listing properties, and typically advise investors the same. Um, you know, platforms like Stay Stay App or Airbnb they're pretty above board, and um, you know they're, they're they have pretty good tenant vetting um, uh, benchmarks in place, meaning that. You know, uh, renters do have to build a certain amount of credibility and do go through a certain amount of vetting. But I am very careful who I rent to. Absolutely. Yeah, I would think that's such a beautiful place you've built. It's just stunning, folks. When you see it on the show, you'll want to rent it yourself. Uh, final thing, and this is purely a selfish question. I need to ask an expert. <laughs> You're the guy. Uh, I don't really have a source of heat at that cottage up on uh, the beat, you know, where, where I am on the Bruce. Um, And so, uh, you know, there used to be an old coal oil stove there for many, many years. But what would you recommend folks do? I mean, is it propane the answer? If you want to have a fireplace, should you do an old fashioned wood stove or a heat pump or what's a good solution for a cottage property that you want to be at three out of four seasons? Well, for three out of, if you're going to shut it down and let it just sort of winter, if you're going to just winterize it and uh, sorry, if you're going to let it go cold over the winter, um, then you don't need anything too significant. You could have a wood burning fireplace and a source of electric heat or a heat pump might be the right idea because you can also get AC out of some of those heat pumps, which is good too. 
um, like a wall mounted unit. If you are going for four seasons, I do recommend two sources of heat, uh, typically like a propane furnace and a propane fireplace, along with a backup electric baseboard uh, in any room that has plumbing. So typically with these vacation properties is you'll have a primary source of heat, And if it runs out of propane or there's a long power outage, which can happen in these areas, the second source can kick in independently. Well, that's good advice. Definitely. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Here I am taking advantage of the expert. Um, Scott, uh, pleasure to talk to you. People, uh, again, will remind them your shows are starting. Scott's own vacation house, Monday, March 14th on HGTV Canada. Uh, Scott's vacation house rules where you do the same uh, care and uh, planning for other folks. That's entering a third season, Monday, April 11th. You've how many shows is this now? Five, six. You've done so many great income property, of course, and uh, buyer boot camp. Buyer boot camp. Yeah, we've been fortunate enough to do to do several shows. And, you know, as long as we're, we're helping people and teaching people and entertaining them, hopefully we'll have many more to come. We sure are. These are great shows, and I really thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks, Bill. We'll talk to you soon. All those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail. And your little angel hung the cat up by its tail. Scott has chosen the theme from Cheers, actually titled Where Everybody Knows Your Name, as his all-time favorite TV theme song. It was written by Gary Portnoy and Judy Hart Angelo and performed by Portnoy in 1982. Portnoy had already written songs for Air Supply and Dolly Parton. His friend Judy was asked by a Broadway producer to suggest a composer for a musical. On a whim, she suggested Portnoy and together they wrote a song that got passed along to friends in California and into the hands of Cheers producers Glenn and Les Charles. Long story short... They got in touch with Portnoy and Angelo and asked the pair to write a theme for their new TV show. It took four tries, but they eventually came up with writing about a place where everybody knows your name. Scott's not alone in his admiration for the song. Where Everybody Knows Your Name was named the best TV theme of all time by Rolling Stone magazine in 2011 and also topped TV Guide's list of all-time best TV theme songs. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Thanks as always to Phil Hong for producing this podcast. I'd also like to give a shout out to Katie Brio, responsible for graphic design at Brio.tv. Thanks as well to everyone listening. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word with a like or a review. And remember, you can always catch up on TV news and reviews daily at Brio.tv. I'm Bill Brio. Thanks for listening. 